This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been in practice for about 26 years here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I started podcasting about two and a half years ago because I wanted to reach all kinds of people, wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who might already be in therapy. In fact, one of the reviews I got this week say I actually listened to it right before my in-person therapy session with my therapist. I found out so much about myself that I never thought about, and now I want to work with her on things you talk about. Thank you. That was great. (laughs) I also want to reach those of you who might have recently been diagnosed with mental illness of some kind, or you're having a relationship issue that's confounding or difficult, because I've done a lot of couples work as well. But that third group is a group that might never darken the door of a therapist, but are interested enough and need help enough to listen to a podcast. So I'm delighted to have you here at Self Work on this, the 129th episode. To those of you who've been listening for a while, you know that I like to focus on what you can do about it. I don't just talk conceptually here on Self Work. I'm going to get down to some brass tacks of change, okay? And this is definitely one of those brass tacks episodes. We're going to be talking about negative self-talk. What is self-talk? What can you do about it? A lot of people tell me they kind of know what it is, but haven't a real clue as to how to change it. It feels as if their self-talk is too elusive. How could you possibly rein in what your mind is telling you about something? They'll say, well, I'm not aware of what I'm thinking about. It just sort of comes out. So I'm going to challenge that. And we'll go over six steps for this process. But I want to stress that catching your negative self-talk takes practice and lots of it. So please be patient with yourself. I don't want you to criticize yourself for struggling with negative self-talk. That's a double whammy. Our listener email today is from someone who's not getting over divorce and links it with not having access to his emotions. And interestingly enough, he also calls himself one of those people who'd never darken the door of a therapist. It's proof that I reach one, I guess. Probably more of you out there. I want to remind you that I'm a therapist because I got good therapy and I'm an advocate for asking for help. But if this podcast is a way you can do that, I'm all for that as well. So I welcome his question, and I welcome all of you to self-work. Self-talk. What is it? We use this term a lot in our culture, but what is it really, and how can you change what seems entrenched in the back recesses of your mind? Think about being in one of those huge box-type stores. I usually have a panic attack when I go into one of those, like Lowe's or Best Buy or something. There's probably some kind of music in the background, which usually you don't even listen to or barely notice. They used to call it elevator music. Then all of a sudden, a song comes on from when you were in high school and falling in love, or a song that you remember dancing to at your wedding. Or the song that you sang over and over when you were getting a divorce just so you could hang on and survive. 
all of a sudden, or so it seems, you hear the music. You're paying attention. Self-talk is like that elevator music. It's a running dialogue that's always taking place in our minds. It's the editorial section that notices, corrects, or redirects our thoughts in a certain direction. It's a function or a role that your ego plays. Now, what is your ego? It's what you define as me, quote unquote. You say things like, I'm 37, I'm a woman, I'm a lawyer, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter. I was loved as a child. I was neglected as a child. Basically, your ego is your identity. When you say, that's my ego talking, that means that somehow your identity is speaking to you. You have ego skills, things that you do well, maybe problem solving or emotional management. Those are ego skills. And certainly, monitoring negative self-talk is one of those ego skills. Basically, a you skill. It's your skill. Self-talk can be positive. You can congratulate yourself and be proud of things that you do well. Even if you make a mistake, positive self-talk says things like, well, you tried, and the effort is what counts. You're on your own side, not necessarily in a way that ignores your vulnerabilities, but accepts them. A positive self-talk is kind. It's generous. But self-talk can also be viciously critical, a voice that tears apart everything that you touch and then tells you it's not good enough, it's useless for you to try, or you need to avoid being around other people because you're just so stinking awful. I mean, our negative self-talk can be incredibly destructive. Of course, you can do therapy or work on yourself and figure out where the negative self-talk comes from. It's often from trauma or abuse. You heard harsh, critical things from a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a coach, and you've taken over their voice for them. It's now your voice telling you you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. You're not actually hearing a voice, mind you. That's a whole other issue. But again, think of the music analogy. You may not be conscious of the voice's presence until it does something that catches your attention. It's in the background, sort of silently listening and making comments, sort of like a reviewer of a movie. Always, as he or she watches the movie, they're reviewing it all at the same time. So, how do you change negative self-talk? Again, what you can do about it, right? You have to notice the criticism and address it. When someone asks me in my office, but I don't know how to tune in, I often get kind of still and listen for a second to what's going on outside. Maybe I hear a motorcycle in the background or birds chirping. Maybe my air conditioning just turned on. Just something I didn't notice before I paid attention. And I'll ask, did you just hear that bird? Can you hear the air conditioning? Well, yeah, but I didn't pay attention. And my response, right. Our unconscious minds are always on, always listening. But until we tune in, we just don't notice. That's the same as self-talk. You can train yourself to listen. You begin to change your negative self-talk patterns when you pay attention to what you're ignoring. You make what may have been largely unconscious, conscious. And that takes practice. When you stop and think about it, if we were always aware of this reviewer in our mind, we'd probably go crazy, (laughs) no pun intended, because... It would be constant babble in our head. So you can't listen to it all, all the time. 
I'm sitting down here in my basement and I'm looking at a piece of needlepoint embroidery that my mother and my grandmother did. And I could get lost in the reverie of thinking about them. But I notice it. My reviewer says, oh, that was made by your mom and your grandmother. But I go on. I'm focusing on the podcast. But your mind is always noticing things, always giving you information if, again, you want to listen to it. It's a running dialogue. So what are the steps to confront negative self-talk? I said in the intro that there are six. Here we go. First, you tune in. You start by beginning to take just a few minutes to settle your mind and heart, and then listen in. Where does your mind go? What is the trail it leads to? First, you're thinking about the baseball game that you have to bring cookies for, and your negative self-talk is reminding you that you better bring better cookies than you did last time. You notice that, and you say, hmm, I've been pretty hard on myself. Then you wait for the next editorial comment. You're not being hard on yourself. You didn't try as hard as the other moms to do something special. That's your critical voice talking to you. You notice it again. What you'll see is that if you have a severe problem with negative self-talk, the litany will continue almost nonstop. Your own mind won't give you a break. But if you begin noticing, even though it's painful to hear, then that's the first step in changing it. Here's number two. Don't necessarily wait for insight. Realize the importance of practice. You can want to understand so much the why of why you're so hard on yourself, why you cut yourself down at every opportunity. Then that longing gets in the way of actually doing something about it. Now, insight is helpful. There's no doubt about that. But insight doesn't necessarily lead to hope. I had a patient recently who was really very, very cheerful about a relationship that she's in. Actually, it's a marriage, and she kept saying, but why have I chosen someone like this again? Why have I done this? She kept repeating it over and over and over, and I said, well, there are some reasons that we've talked about, but really what's going to empower you is when you begin to confront that negative self-talk. Here's number three. Zoom in. Practice mindfulness or meditation. Now, for those of you who think this is too new agey, just a sec. What do I mean by zoom in? It would be very helpful at this point to try out a meditation app or some kind of mindfulness exercise to help you have the experience of watching your mind more objectively. I use Headspace. There's also 10% Happier, Calm, John Kabat-Zinn, that's K-A-B-A-T hyphen Z-I-N-N, also has a lot of things on his website. And there are dozens of apps that can help. Mindfulness or meditation isn't something weird. It's using your mind to notice what's going on in your mind. It's a focus. The reason why this is helpful is because, frankly, this is hard to do. There are mornings when I try and, oh my gosh, I'm all over the place. Then there are mornings that seemingly I get it a little bit calmer. But it's practice, and because they're structured apps, then they can really help you and give you support and give you encouragement. Number four, start noticing the bigger picture in your mind. Think about going to a play or watching a movie. You immediately notice what the main characters are doing or saying, but you can also notice the nuance of the lighting or the way other actors are responding to what's going on. You're really taking in the entire thing. That's the same kind of notice or focus you need to catch negative self-talk. Number five, you've got to replace it. 
This is an extremely important part of the work. You have to replace negative self-talk with more positive self-talk. If it doesn't come easily at first, then you can develop what's called a mantra or some phrase that confronts the negativity without necessarily coming up with a full replacement. Let's go back to my cookie example. When you become aware of that critical, nagging voice, your mantra or how you respond could be, I know I do my best, and it's okay that my best isn't always perfect. That mantra could apply to a lot of things. So it's a more generic way of answering that criticism. You certainly could replace it with something specific, something like, the only voice complaining about the cookies is my own, so shut up and let's get on with things. The cookies were fine. So you can do specific redirections and address that shame and that criticism of your negative self-talk. Again, I'm going to stress this takes practice. It can be such an entrenched habit to say negative things to yourself. The sixth step is the one I've repeated about 14 times so far. Practice. All of this takes repetition and practice. Depending on how long these patterns of thought have been there, you may have a long road to travel as you uproot them. But it can be done with kindness, self-compassion, generosity. Of course, you want to take responsibility for mistakes. When your critical voice is right and you've done something selfish or stupid, offer an apology and go on. That's your conscience talking. But negative, constant self-talk can steal any chance of believing in your own worth. And that is a waste of your life. I want to make sure and stress again that I am not advocating not trying to understand where the negativity comes from. Of course, it's important to go back and connect with whatever trauma or loss was created so that this is the message you got about yourself. There's a lot of work there to be done. I did an episode fairly recently about journaling, and I noticed that so many of you have tuned in. Journaling, therapy, reading other books, honoring your trauma and your pain, all of that is important. But without changing your behavior, without practicing replacing your negative self-talk, that pain can continue. Good luck to you. It's worth it. Our listener email today is pretty short and sweet. It's all about getting a divorce and not being able to have access to your emotions. It says, hello, first, I would like to say thank you for your podcast. I'm one of the people you talk about at the beginning of your podcast about not going to a therapist. Yet in listening, I have identified with perfectly hidden depression. And after listening to you, I need to find someone to talk to. Do you have any suggestions on how to deal with perfectly hidden depression on my own? I was married and got divorced because she had an affair. I never dealt with the real emotions that I had and have held on to them for many years. I've been in one serious relationship since the divorce, and it has come apart due to my lack of trust and not feeling I was good enough for her. I would never open up to her and tell her how I felt, even when she would want to find out where her relationship was going. I would like some information on how to deal with this. Thank you again for your podcast. It's helpful. So here's my response. I'm so glad that you've reached out and doubly impressed by that since you're someone who identifies with perfectly hidden depression. Thank you for taking the first step to truly get emotionally divorced. Getting over an affair can be quite difficult when you stay married to that someone 
and the two of you work it out. But when there's a divorce following an affair, it often leaves these huge emotional scars of distrust, feeling at fault, anger that has nowhere to go, because you never hear the other person take responsibility for their choice to go outside of the marriage or for the two of you to try and talk about what might have been going on in your marriage between the two of you that at least set the context. If there are kids involved, you see her a good deal. Maybe talk with her about the kids, and it can serve to stir up old feelings that haven't been addressed, or you detach the point of trying not to feel anything. There are plenty of tips online about learning to trust someone after you've been betrayed. All you have to do is Google learning to trust after divorce. But if you're not someone who knows how to connect with feelings at all, then that can be quite difficult. Some of the men I've worked with have found that if they carry around a list of emotions with them, that it's helpful. And I'll give the link of one from Therapist Aid. And when you're struggling, you know there's a feeling there. You can look at your list. Journaling can also be very, very helpful. You have to be willing to try to sit for a few minutes and write not about the facts of your day, but what feelings were attached. This gives you practice in just getting those feelings out, shaking them out a little bit and trying to say, well, I just know I was mad. Well, what made me mad? When did I get mad? Have I been mad like this before? Is this situation similar to when I've been mad before? Am I mad because I feel stuck in the past? What would help me go forward into the future? You ask yourself all these questions about the feeling and then write about it. You can also do what's called a trauma timeline. You can look back at your life from the very beginning and make a literal timeline of all the things that affected you, both positive and negative. I do have an episode on this as well. This trauma line could include your parents' divorce or getting bullied, moving a lot, whatever. And then you begin to ask yourself, how did this affect me? How would it affect anybody? That may help you see how you became someone who shuts off emotions if they become too painful. As far as trust goes, trust is a choice. There is never no risk involved. You can never know today what you'll know tomorrow. You have to trust yourself to make the decision. When you care about someone, you literally are giving them the power to hurt you, but also the power to bring you joy. If this woman you're interested in wants to be in your life, you can ask her to give you the time you need to let go of what you're dragging around from the past. Of course, a relationship with a therapist can be very helpful because you may experience something there that you've not found elsewhere, someone with whom you can be safe as yourself. One of the joys of doing this podcast for me is when I get an email that says, I would not have gone into therapy or I haven't been in therapy for a long time, but in listening to you, I realize that I need a safe place. I need somewhere that I'm going to be listened to, occasionally confronted, at least gently, but I'm going to say, this is the direction I want to go. Can you help me? And of course, asking for help is something that people with perfectly hidden depression don't do very easily or well. But there's always the first time. I'm so glad this listener got in touch with me, and I hope my answer is helpful. Thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Self Work. I've had quite an exciting week with a book on perfectly hidden depression. I, I've received some endorsements that I'm quite excited about. I'll tell you about them soon. 
I want to have them in my hot little hand. I don't want to jinx it by saying they're coming and then they don't. There are plenty of ways of getting in touch with me. I love the emails you're sending me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I will answer them. I've started a Facebook group, a closed group, at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And of course, it means so much when you leave a rating or a review, especially on iTunes, since it's such a large venue, but really anywhere you listen, especially the written reviews, as I've said many times, give me specifics about what you like, what you don't like, any and all of that. You can subscribe at my website, which is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you'll get a weekly newsletter that will include this podcast as well as a weekly blog post. And that's a handy way of just keeping in touch. And you can join me for something fun over on Instagram. I've been doing a hundred things of what I've learned as a therapist. Actually, by this time, it may be done because I vowed to do a hundred days. But I've enjoyed it so much that I'm going to continue doing it to a certain extent. Maybe not every day, but almost every day. So thank you so much for being here. Work on that negative self-talk. Replace it with some positive self-talk. Tune in, zoom in, and experience what you can experience having a much more secure sense of self. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.